This is Content Content, a bi-monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. Today's guest is Ann Rockley, who is Ann Rockley. My God, I, you know, when I started this podcast years ago, I came up with a list, and I say this all the time, but there's those lists of people who are like superheroes. Like, okay, let me wait until I've established myself and become someone to actually be worth talking to. Um, so here I am, thanks to our friend Scott Abel. Um, Ann Rockley is a pioneer in the world of uh, oh, structured content. And um, she's here today to talk about that and her history, about um, you know all the things she's done in the world of technical communication and content strategy, um, including a book called Ditto 101, which I owned at one point. Um, and I checked my bookcase uh, before we recorded recently, and I didn't see it. So I don't know if I ever got it back from my then manager. Um, but she's written several books. Uh, she's been all over and done all kinds of things in the world of technical communication. I am obviously thrilled to have her here today. Um, so, Anne, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me on your show. No problem. Scott Abel put us together, and I was like, hey, yes. Scott's like, do you want to have Anne or Ockley on your podcast? I'm like, yes. So <laughs> I'm thankful we finally got around to it. Um, so, Anne, for those of you who don't know who you are, obviously I have a little background, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, um, and kind of how you got where you are now. Okay. So as I said, Anne Rockley, and I'm CEO of the Rockley Group, which is a consultancy that I created 32 years ago. So it's a long time. And um, my back, my background is I did start off as a tech writer. Uh, then I became manager of instructional design, and then I became a consultant. So um, I've sort of worked through all the different areas. Now, my major focus, uh, sort of starting in the beginning when I first started uh, consulting, I did a lot of work in online documentation and hypertext. You know, it sounds kind of weird now, but... <laughs> uh, you know, back in the 80s, <laughs> I mean, hypertext was a big deal and um, online documentation was just coming about. And I happened to work for a company that developed an educational microcomputer that had a key on the keyboard that said help. And it didn't do anything. And <laughs> so I got into developing help. Uh, very, very, very early in the industry, before Windows Help. Uh, so that became sort of the basis of what I started with. Then I moved into reuse strategy. So designing content for reuse and multi-channel delivery. I did that throughout uh, the 90s. And uh, then in um, the 2000s, which is when I wrote my first book, uh, so Managing Enterprise Content, a Unified Content Strategy, uh, which some people do refer to as the Bible of uh, content strategy, I uh, created that in early 2000s. It was published in 2002. And it was updated again in 2012. And what I did with that, so what I was finding in the industry at that point was that, you know, and, and like many tech writers, I worked for software companies, I worked for hardware companies, I worked for healthcare companies, you know, all sorts of different types of companies. 
And there was a very specific methodology for creating product, but there wasn't a specific methodology for creating content. And if you're creating online documentation, you're creating content for reuse, you're creating content for multi-channel delivery, there really needs to be a very, very solid methodology. And so as a consultant, I began developing that methodology and um, sharing it with my clients. And after teaching many, 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 many teams with many companies and, you know, taking the training and everything, that's how it became the book. So that is that methodology. And while it sounds like a long time ago, that methodology has not changed. I mean, it really hasn't. You start with analysis, you do design, you do uh, modeling, uh, workflow, taxonomy, uh, publishing, and select tools. Like you do that over and over again. I, but I did it with many different industries. So started more high tech and then and uh, through financial services and life sciences. So pharma and med devices. And again, methodology didn't change. Content certainly changes that you're working on. But the methodology itself uh, didn't change, and it's uh, still being used uh, by a lot of a lot of companies. And uh, it goes on because it's solid. <laughs> and um, I guess it, you know maybe just another point with that book, Christina Halverson, who's extremely well known in the web world. Um, after reading that book, she named me the mother of content strategy because I got involved really, really early days before content strategy was a thing. And, uh, so that's sort of my claim to fame. <laughs> well, I guess my question is, if you started a little, little bit earlier than I did, I guess about, about five years of experience, um, but how how does something like that come about? Like you said, you have a methodology, and all of a sudden you like became the mother of content strategy, and you wrote the Bible, and yes, these are all the things. But how does how does how does how does that happen? How does one become a mother of content strategy, or not? I shouldn't say that in that terms, but how does someone become that established that early? And like, I don't know how this all comes together, and you become that person, I guess. Uh, so how does it all happen? Well, I found myself um, figuring out things that had never been figured out before. And I love, I love to do that analysis and research and strategic design. And I also love to teach. And uh, so while I'm not specifically, uh, obviously, uh, an academic, though I have taught at a couple of different universities in later years, um, it, when there's nothing out there, you sort of jump in and do it. So if I go back to early days, tech writer, um, I started my job, didn't have a clue what a tech writer was. <laughs> Never, I There was no programs in it in those days. I studied astronomy and then I moved to writing and um, anyway so I got the job and three weeks after I and two other people started we we were all starting at the same time boss quit and it was like okay <laughs> now what do I do <laughs> and um, we just you know figured it out on the fly 
and uh, the materials that uh, I created received really, really good feedback. So I was asked to uh, make it a standard within the department. And the sort of the same thing that happened about that time was when my boss quit and I started looking, well, who can tell me what to do with this stuff? You know, <laughs> early days, you know, I'm right out of university. I don't, there was no tech writer that I was aware of. Um, at any rate, um, I started looking around and I found the STC, the Society for Technical Communication. And I contacted them and asked if there was a local chapter. And there was a local chapter. Uh, but it, it was moribund. It had been very, very active uh, and then died out. And we've seen that many times in, you know, STC and other organizations. Anyway, um, I spoke with uh, the regional director, I think, a director sponsor, I think they were called. And and he was saying, OK, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to get started. Um, and he says, you know, why don't you volunteer to be chapter president? And I went, no way. I've only, you know, been uh, in this job for, I don't know, six months at that point. Anyway, I went away on holidays and I came back and I was elected chapter president. So again, you know, your sink and swim type uh, situation. And uh, the chapter was at 35 people at that point, And I grew it to over 600. Holy cow. And um, again, I learned to speak in front of a crowd. I learned to teach. I learned to share my love of things. I learned to mentor people. And, and I think it just sort of all came together. I mean, there's been so much fascinating new developments in tech com over the years. As I said, okay, online, single sourcing, uh, structured content management, uh, you know, component content management systems, so much chatbots, AI in more recent years, those sorts of things. And I just love dying in and diving in and then telling people about it, uh, just helping to to grow that knowledge. And um, I also like to, I said to Christina Halverson, when she interviewed me for an early podcast, you know, I said, I'm kind of a structured kind of person. Like I like to standardize things. I like to develop <laughs> methodologies, like to how to do something and put together guidelines and things like that. And I went from that job to manager at, again, at a very young age and grew the department from me to 14 people and, and then went on to work for Apple and Apple, of course, very innovative though. I was there, uh, not when Steve Jobs was there. I was there when uh, Scully was there. So then I went into, you know, went went from my team, my tech com team uh, to Apple. And Apple, I became manager of instructional design, built that team as well. And so I was constantly teaching. So I don't, I mean, it's obviously an evolution. I just love being, you know, analyzing things, figuring out things, and then developing standards and methodology for it, and teaching others. See, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like if my career had gone a different way, or you're going a different way, we would have had very, very similar careers. It's very interesting. Cool. I <laughs> fell into tech com. I, was, I went to school for journalism, so I did have that kind of related yeah, experience. I did not. Um, <laughs> um so yeah, it's very interesting. Plus, I like playing with things. I used to get in trouble when I was a kid for pushing buttons that I shouldn't have. So, 
Yeah, I I know. So, yeah, I just, if you know, a lot of what I talk about these days is resilience. And, uh, you know, I huh. think... Gee, what a, what a topic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of think I'm a case study for resilience, you know, going through that much. And when I think about my business experience, okay, so I got laid off and I started my own business. And um, I've been through four recessions. And while many people aren't really aware, I mean, we're looking at the pandemic today. This is my fourth pandemic. One is a child. And um, I live in Toronto. So we had SARS-CoV-1 in Toronto uh, in 2003. And it locked down the city and and, a variety of things like that. So uh, you know, as I said, I've been through the Great Recession. I've been through the tech combust. I've been through, huh. uh, you know, 2001. It just, you name it, I went through it. And you got to learn to bounce back. You, you know, you got to say, okay, world has changed. Now what? <laughs> no kidding. So, well, I mean, what's interesting too is, I mean, the world is constantly changing, but we're still using the term that you used earlier on like multi-channel delivery and stuff like that. So it's interesting, you know, how many things stay the same, but how many, how things change and then they don't, they stay the same. Um, so yeah, but then, you know, I guess the interesting thing for me now, and I know this is not where you are anymore and I want to get to your new career, but, um, you know, I'm finding, I, I, like I mentioned, I was early on into data, uh, adaptation, mm. uh, I liked it. I ended up implementing it in my last role at this firm. Uh, but now we're on Markdown in more unstructured languages. Right. And I, I get it because it's scalable and because developers don't want to write in XML. Um, but I miss a lot of the reuse and the chunking and a lot of the features of, of DITA and XML and structured authoring. So I guess, you know, what is your opinion? I, I don't know if you have an opinion anymore on this because I know you're not in the space, but I mean... You've probably seen stuff, stuff like this happen before. Is is this something new, or is it just a different way of of doing things? Well, there's always you know something new, and I think um, that companies sometimes don't look at history. They don't look at uh, what might have worked in the past. Uh, there's a lot of reinvention going on, and and just sort of as an aside, I mean, I've only started you know, focusing a little bit differently in the last, uh, six months or so. So, um, we, you know, I obviously did a lot of data, wrote data 101, um, did, you know, a lot of that stuff. But as I moved into organizations like say life sciences, there's no way you're going to get a medical writer, maybe medical device writer, but not a pharma writer writing in data, but that doesn't mean you can't have structure. You can still have structure. You can still have modularity. You can still have components. You can still have reuse. And, and, you know, when, when the web came about and and they started, you know, having to publish between desktop web and mobile uh, and then, um, you know, chunking the content going out, say in Facebook and, and, um, I don't know, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all those sorts of things. They had to learn all about 
chunking. They had to learn about components. They had to learn about, okay, if I create a teaser, say, if it's in marketing, I got a small piece of information and I have to write it small because it's got to go out in a, tw- a Twitter feed. It's got to go out in Facebook. It's got to go out in uh, an Instagram post. And it also needs to be the lead in for maybe a, a more robust article. So it's the same thing. And maybe it's not using code, you know, so we're not using markup, but it could be behind the covers. Um, Companies I worked with like really uh, in the last year in life sciences and pharma are using um, tools that create structured component-based reusable content in a word environment. I mean, you think, oh, that's not possible, but it is possible. You've got um, XML under the covers in Microsoft Word, that's, but yeah. you still have to design components. You still have to design for reuse. You still have to design all of that structure. Um, and it just doesn't have to have a markup language in front of it. I mean, Dita would have done a whole lot better if it wasn't so geeky, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, it is fine for tech writers, but again, it's not fine for other writers and having to do this with marketing folks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They, and as I said, medical writers, no, not happening. They work in word and, uh, really, yeah, there are See, some that, <laughs> that don't. That, that amazes me. Cause I would think, I mean, I work in a regulated environment. I'm in financial services, but right. I would think something like that, that ha- is so highly regulated and so scrutinized, they would have something like a reuse in place or like a, a like a CCMS even. Like, so that way you're not reinventing the wheel or, you know. It's, they're very, very new to structure. They're very new to reuse. Huh. They're very new. As I say, med devices are a little bit closer to tech docs, but pharma is not. And okay. um, with your huh. medical writer might be, have a, a PhD in, in pharmacy, you know. Uh, a farm D. They may be a medical doctor. They may be um, somebody with a biology degree. They may be um, very different because you're dealing with biology. You're dealing with wow. all sorts of of really in depth kind of content that only a fraction is user facing. The majority of it is regulatory, and um, wow. so. Different, different mindset kind of people. And as I said, marketing for any area, no. And I have worked in financial services a lot. Um, some did DITA. Uh, some did things like RoboHelp, um, AuthorIt um, in its early days, um, you know, things like that. Uh, they didn't do DITA. And want to do data again? You might have somebody who might have come in from a branch, say, if you're working with a large bank, and uh, somebody who comes in from corporate doing something else uh, into the writing because they know the content, but not not tools. We really should not be putting um, the burden on the writer mm. to know code. I mean, we just really shouldn't. We should be hiding it behind the scenes with fields and chunking and 
style structure versus code structure, you know, that to, to do different things, but you can still teach people all of these different things. And we did a lot of work uh, teaching for reuse and teaching um, how to write once, use many, um, all those sorts of things with people never using data. Yeah, I guess it was just was such a large part of my life and my, my entire career. I've heard da 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 da, and I've used it, and I I I hated it for a long time. I'm like, yeah. it's you know, I I was very anti data for several years because I had seen what it can do and how messy it can be and everything. And then I guess I've also made my career by being a technical technical writer. So I like the geeky parts of it. <laughs> um, so I'm like, you know, and I hear people writing in Word. I'm like, I would rather not write than when then use word as my daily editor but uh but i guess it's also too like you said like you know if people were willing to invest in the tools and use those reuse properly and do the things then yeah you could probably make a good system together and throw it together with word and xml because like you said it's xml behind the scenes so i'm sure yeah. there's a lot you could do there but i guess the you know it doesn't seem like a lot of companies are willing or able to do that and it's interesting you talk about pharma because i live in north jersey and Pharma in Central Jersey is really, really huge. I'm it's like, huge, yeah. I've worked for multiple I have, companies. Maybe I have an opportunity here. Yeah, I've worked for companies in that area, lots of them, lots and lots in New Jersey, Parsippany, uh, you know, all of that that area. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, I think there's some opportunities there. I know they're always looking for good, uh, skilled uh, people to work um in in that field now what was your experience when you walked into like a a situation and you know you were either well were you pushing you know content meta or component content management where i mean how do i mean how do those conversations go when you're talking to someone important that's saying okay i'm going to put x amount of dollar investment into this whatever this is yeah i mean Typically, I must admit, I did not have to educate my clients on using reuse. I mean, a lot of people okay. came to me uh, and my team because, you know, I had spoken about reuse for so long and uh, written the ROI. And when I began talking about intelligent content, I did a lot mm -hmm. of ROI in different areas. So the ROI for financial services, the ROI for pharma, the ROI for med devices, talking about it. And as you say, you know, many realize the requirements uh, to do that kind of thing, even though they may not know what it's called. But okay. I try not to push anything. I do stick with structured, you know, not freeform content, but that doesn't necessarily mean ditta when I talk about structure. Right. Um, it, it could mean that um, we are working with... Um, <laughs> I lost you this time. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it just means that we're working with, okay, we're going to write this kind of content and this is how you write it. These are the structured writing uh, guidelines and things like that. But what I often had to do with these companies, I would come in and I always did an analysis. We called it the substantive audit to find out what's working, what's not working, what are the costs mm -hmm. of things not working and the goals and objectives for the future. So I always had that 
to hand. So whatever the results were of that, and then I made the recommendations. So that might be the first contract. And then speaking to management, which always had a component of financial cost about what we were recommending going forward, you know, modeling and taxonomy and structure and whether they needed a new content management system or any content management system, they might not Mm. have had that. with them. So a lot of times I would then do an ROI and I would show them. ROI was frequently part of the work that I did so I could figure out costs. You know, what was it costing you to write now? What are some of the issues that you've experienced? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And I would put together and I'd crunch numbers <laughs> a lot okay. so that I could share it with management because it always comes down to money, money and time. This is true. This is true. So speaking of money and time, you have uh, transitioned yourself to a new role. Um, and it sounds like, you know, with the resilience with she, I, I don't know where they got that idea from. Um, <laughs> but, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, about, how, well, A, why you changed and how you changed and then what's going on? Well, um, in 2019, I celebrated 30 years as a consultant. And it was December. Uh, That was my 30th anniversary as a consultant. And that's a long time uh, to be a consultant. And then we know what happened in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) We sure do. And part of what I have been doing for years and years and years, probably well over a decade, is not only did I come in and do analysis and design work and modeling is I would help them to build a content strategy team. So either taking existing resources and educating them in the new methodologies and things like that, or helping them to hire. And uh, I worked uh, quite a bit on, what, uh, you know, like team dynamics and, and fit and things like that. And I've used uh, an assessment called the Colby uh, assessment, and that's K-O-L-B-E, Colby. And I've used it for mm, over 25 years in hiring my own staff. And I started using it with clients during that time as well. And it really helps to identify team members, uh, instinctual strengths. So, uh, how well they do things and, and not from a skill set perspective, but the way they work, uh, and, and working together and then what makes a good team and making sure that you've got all the different, um, quadrants and, and modus operandi as they call it to, to fit together. So I've been doing Colby consulting for a very, very long time uh, as well. Anyway, 2020 hit and a lot of companies were forced to work remote, as we know. Uh, Some had already been doing it, but uh, they frequently still had some team, you know, co-located. It wasn't 100% remote. So I began doing a tremendous amount of work uh, with companies helping them hire 
when they couldn't physically see somebody. So teaching them how to assess and, and hire people um, that way. And again, using Colby, uh, we could identify what the requirements were from a skill set, obviously, and then from a Colby perspective. Uh, so I did more and more and more of that and um, enjoyed it immensely. And then little known <laughs> to many people, um, I've had an interest in health uh, for a very long time. Hmm. Um, I myself am immunocompromised. Hey, and, try to club. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so well, I talked about the first pandemic, that first pandemic when I was just a, a kid put me in the hospital for six weeks. And I nearly died and I lost 50% of my body weight going down to 35 pounds. <gasps> so oh it, it nearly killed me. And I've had many, many, many hospitalizations over the year. So uh, in the back of my mind has been this whole health uh, focus as well. So my new uh, focus is essentially people. And there's two aspects of it. One is I call it the resilient team advantage. And that is where I help uh, companies, organizations to assess the team that they already have, find better ways of working, helping to fill in, you know, hiring people, those sorts of things. And as I'm still working content strategy teams in, in many different ways uh, for that. So that is the first piece. And then I am also a certified health coach. And oh. I am uh, just in the last couple of months have started uh, coaching women in technology, women in STEM, uh, in terms of health coaching and, and uh, helping them to find health uh, regardless of the situation. Of course, I know the STEM world exceedingly well, having worked in it pretty much every area, uh, mm. except maybe math. Um, but I've worked in engineering, worked in technology hugely, and I've worked in the sciences. So uh, that's the other piece. And I'm really enjoying it. Uh, you know, you get to a point after a while, like I've done chatbots and I've done AI and I've done, I've written three plus books and I've been keynote speaker and I've, I've written articles for journals and I've done umpteen bazillion webinars and different things like that. And I just, it was like, okay, this feels like a right time to pivot and use all my knowledge, use all my expertise uh, being a successful entrepreneur, seeing, uh, being a successful consultant, being uh, successful at helping many, many organizations uh, and individuals, um, it seemed to make sense. So here I am. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, it's, a, you know, it's the most interesting thing about this podcast is you find how many different ways people come to TechCom and away from TechCom and just the different backgrounds. And it's just very interesting. I was actually uh, just on a podcast with Alan J. Porter, who asked me about podcasting and everything. And I'm just like, what's the, what, you know, what's the thing? It's like the two things that I've learned from all my guests are that they don't come from the same career. They don't come from, none of them come from the same exact background and that everyone is different and everyone has like a passion for the word. I think it is basically. Yes. So that's what I find interesting. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's certainly interesting, but I guess what's interesting to me as well, and this is an observation I've made, because it seems like there are a lot of people who have been consultants in techcom and content strategy for a long time, 
people like Andrea Ames and mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Bonsignor, who I've had on the podcast, you on the podcast, or other other people who have kind of transitioned away from tech com and content strategy and into a, a different related field. But I'm just wondering, is that a trend? I mean, is that a, is there a thing that you're seeing, or is it just and is it is, is it just a matter of people are finding now's the time to do that? Well, I, I don't know if it's a trend. I mean, I do know a lot of people that have gone into coaching and I think, oh, wow, they're a coach now. You know, I, I discovered <laughs> one of the salespeople I used to know very, very well for a CCMS system um, is now a, um, a neuroscience-based coach. And it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, wow. You know, That's how did you go from there? And he's doing his master's in neuroscience and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Uh, but... I think when you get people in an industry for a long period of time, they do start looking at doing something different. So for me, it's 40 years since I began TechCom next year. So 39 this year. So 40 next year. That's a long time. <laughs> you know, 30 years as a consultant among that 40 years. Um you you have you make decisions about you know what do you want to do next do you want to retire no i don't <laughs> want to retire um i might you know at some point in the future but not right now and um you just start you know sort of following other passions i think everybody has a passion everybody has an excitement and enthusiasm about something you know, they do in their spare time or weekends or family or whatever. And it draws them after a certain period of time to to uh, doing that for a change. So I don't know if it's a trend or maybe just the people that you're talking to have been in the industry for a while. Yeah, I could be. You know, um, I've been in probably longer than, I don't know, I've been longer than Andrea Ames. I'm not sure about Alan Porter, but, uh, you know, or they just plain leave. You know, Joanne Hakos, she retired and, right. and, um, that's okay too. If somebody wants to do that, that's fine. It's just, you get to a point, And I think when you have a year, a year and a half, like we've just had, it's yeah. like, what do I want to be next? You know, how do I want to grow? I mean, it wasn't that I didn't have enough work. I had a ton of work. I went insane with work in the beginning of, uh, you know, it was never without, uh, still was, I had to, f- you know, physically say to clients, I'm sorry, I'm not doing this anymore and, and uh, pass yeah. it off to my American partner. So it was never that issue. It was just, I think it's time before I lose uh, my interest and, and, you know, don't perform as well as I could. So. Yeah, I don't want to admit this, but uh, a lot of people that I, well, a lot of the people that I've interviewed on my show, I've asked my, my coworkers, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, no. And I guess it means I'm just getting old. So I don't know <laughs> if I like this idea, but, yeah. uh, you know. So. I had somebody who um, contacted me on LinkedIn recently. And then um, they said, so-and-so referred me to you. And I just finished reading your book and I love it. But yeah, there's a lot of people who don't know you after a while. Yeah. So, well, so how's it been doing something different? I guess, you know, I mean, you talked about it, you talked about what you've done. How is it going? Are you happier? Are you, you know, are you satisfied to make the right choice? Well, it's kind of fun right now because I mean, I'm building a new business. 
I'm building a new, I'm building a modified brand. Um, I mean, this is still the same brand, but with a, a branch, <laughs> you know, a pivot. <laughs> Uh, but, and I have built my business many times before, you know, for whatever reason, the, as I said, recessions and stuff like that, you have to start again. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm enjoying the non 24 seven type environment. I was working with a company, uh, you know, that I just finished with in June of this year. And I worked with them all last year and they were global India and England and the West coast and East coast and, you know, all over the time. So you were sometimes on calls at five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you were on calls at, you know, at uh, seven or eight o'clock at night. I've, I've, uh, got Australian clients. So for that, you know, it's like a 14 hour time difference and things like that. And that doesn't mean that I, I won't, because it's interesting. My first few clients were all in Europe and it was like, okay, (laughs) you know, um, how did that happen? But mainly because, you know, I was close to them and they told someone who told someone versus me making it very public here in North America. Uh, but it's not the same thing. You don't have companies saying, well, we need you in a meeting at such and such. I'm a Canadian. Um, I was traveling a hundred thousand K a year, um, up until March the 2nd of 2020, which was my last flight. You know, you're never home. You're on the road. And I've done that for many, many, many years through my daughter's young years, teen years, have a fantastic husband, <laughs> you know, <it> just, <laughs> um, yeah, you get to make your own, uh, your own, uh, whatever. You don't have to work quite the same pace as you used to. And that's, okay. so I'm enjoying that level of, of non-insanity. <laughs> yeah. I, I, gee, I can't imagine why, <laughs> you know, I've always been like a what's next kind of person. And do I want to be a consultant? Is this like a, do I want to have my own business? And like, I hear stuff like that and I'm like, no, I don't want to be on the road all the time. Like, I want the opposite at this point in my career. Not yeah. that I ever wanted to travel a lot anyhow, but like, I just, you know, so I don't know. That's one of the things yeah. I'm thinking about. So maybe, maybe I need your services. <laughs> happy to do a Colby on you. More than happy <laughs> to. Uh, I was going to say one of the things that the pandemic has changed is more ability to work remote. So, mm. I mean, I, I've been working remote for over 30 years, so it wasn't a big deal. Uh, and I told my clients I would not do um, on-site work with them unless it was a workshop or a major meeting. Um, and so I did that. But when you've got multiple clients on the go at any point in time, then you end up traveling to many different places uh, on an ongoing basis to work with a variety of different clients. But you could probably all do it remote now and it, everybody would be fine with that. I'm not as fond of teaching remote. Okay. Um, it's, you know, I'm used to using whiteboards for modeling and things okay. like that, you know, or workflow and try and so I can do it. And I have done it a lot, um, especially when we've had teams that were global, but it is kind of nice having people in a classroom. So, but yeah, meetings, who needs to be on site for a meeting? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And most of my team now is 
out in in Utah. So mm. there's not a whole lot of benefit for me to go into New York to sit in an office kind of by myself. No. And I did like two like a week uh, I think a month and a half ago I went in because my manager was going to be in. And being around people like typing and talking around you was just <laughs> trying to get anything done just, to me. <laughs> I'm like, how did we? How did? How was this a thing all this time? But <laughs> I guess one of the questions I have for you then is like, I would assume, and I, you know, my my prior team, I was built up a knowledge what we call the knowledge bank, so that way people could be distributed exactly yes. for this reason. So that way, if there you couldn't ask the person who stood in next to you, all this information that was siloed somewhere is now in a centralized location, and I'm assuming that you know that that's the way that other companies are going now is that what you've seen over the past year anything like that where people are saying hey guess what this actually worked and we're now we're going to invest more in our tech com or our, our procedures yes uh, we have seen uh, more of the you know the knowledge base the mind sharing the uh, making sure that people uh, and what they know is not too isolated from someone else. A lot of extra work put in to ensure handoffs and uh, things like that. It is still difficult to capture the knowledge of everyone, but a lot of people, a lot of companies have been doing, you know, okay, here's the prime person in this role and here's maybe a junior or an intermediate and they're learning and they're, so you're always teaching somebody and you're carrying somebody else along and you're mentoring and having the mentors um, among different people has been very, very valuable. Um, as everybody has become so isolated because you feel like there's somebody you can talk to that you can rely on. So the knowledge doesn't stop with one person. It's you're helping the next one down. Somebody else is helping you, uh, you know, cross, you're doing education across other teams, that sort mm. of thing. It may not be formalized in a knowledge base, but there's been a tremendous amount of work on communication and sharing. Very cool. Very cool. So what kind of clients are you looking for now or what kind of I guess the question is, is what's the kind of person who comes and says that they want to learn about your resilient team advantage and your Colby assessments? Is it just I mean, tell us about your business, I guess, a little bit more. <laughs> sell, sell your business to me and I've got no, I've got time. OK, well, I have 10 minutes left. Um. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Ditto, so. Um, so the resilient team advantage is aimed at companies. Uh, with a team of at least six people plus a team lead or manager. Okay. And uh, it, it has a three-part assessment uh, in which I do, um, I use the Colby assessment. That's not the only thing that I use, but I use the Colby assessment on the a team and their team lead. I look at the metrics and things like that and figure out what's um, where the gaps are and things like that. I have been doing it largely with content strategy teams uh, because I, I obviously know content strategy extremely <laughs> well, uh, and it allows me to very easily fit people into uh, gaps and help them adjust. And, and the sort of the second part of it, so I do the analysis, then I do the recommendations to the management, and then I share the, the results of the analysis, uh, in particular the Colby, with other team members 
to educate them. So if they work in one way, you know, one person's really details oriented and another person is not so details oriented, you know, they're, they're what's called a quick start. So they get stuff done, but they do it at the very last minute and they have to hand it off to somebody who's details oriented and that details oriented person is going crazy because they don't have the information and uh, things like that. So helping to educate everyone on their strengths and and helping to develop much more of a collaborative environment. So it's a three-part activity and uh, there's an optional part where I can mentor the manager uh, in dealing with remote teams, in dealing with hybrid teams, uh, in dealing with uh, employee situations, uh, whether they're remote, co-located, you know, hybrid, whatever they are, uh, just helping them through that because it is a very different mindset uh, for them. So that's the resilient team advantage. Then the other one, I'm calling it the resilience maker. So as the resilience maker, which is me, as I am helping, uh, as I said, women in STEM to become resilient individuals, it again starts with uh, an assessment, both a health assessment and the Colby assessment. So I can understand their strengths. They can learn to understand their own strengths, which is important. Um, and health assessment from the perspective of, of what are we really dealing with? You know, somebody can tell me they've got some disease or situation, but it's a lot better if we can, um, you know, I have a sort of a black and white assessment that I can do. And it's just a questionnaire. It's not something I, you know, there's no needles or anything like that. It's just a yeah. questionnaire uh, with symptoms and uh, helps me to decide things. Then I do the analysis. That's always me, analysis and then strategy. Uh, and then the middle piece is um, working with them to improve their health. And so as an immunocompromised person traveling over 100K a year, working all over the world, having been in life-threatening situations all my life and more hospitalizations than I can count, I've been in ICU, I've been on a ventilator three times, you know, I know all these different things. So what are the coping mechanisms? How can somebody learn to manage their health effectively and do everything else that they want to do? They do not have to compromise their life and their lifestyle and their job and their career and their goals and their future. It's learn to manage your health. So that's the middle piece. And then the third piece is developing an essential um, a resilient mindset so that they have that mindset. And it doesn't matter, you know, whatever happens in a six months from now or a year from now, they will know how to be agile, how to adapt, how to pivot, how to take um, what is not good that's happening to them or around them or anything else uh, in the future and say, okay, I got to do something different. What can I do? And go there and just do it. So it really is um, uh, an activity. The whole uh, resilient maker is making resilient people uh, so that they can withstand anything. And and as I said, I think I'm a case study in this given um, 
four or five recessions, four pandemics, uh, companies going bankrupt, leaving me yeah. not paying my bills. So I, I can't pay my staff, you name it. I've had it and, um, and health as well. So that is me in a nutshell in the way I, I'm working think, forward now. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I know I actually have an STC meeting in five minutes. I know you have to drop, but uh, the final question that I have for everybody is, you know, you're obviously a busy person. You've been traveling a lot. Sounds like your career is a, your life has slowed down a little bit, but what is it that you like to do when you aren't doing all that? Well, one of the things I started doing this year was I started first with Friday afternoons. I got out into nature. I love hiking um, and kayaking my uh, and camping. We didn't get camping. Uh, we just couldn't get any camping sites. Everybody else was doing it. But we did do kayaking. My husband has built uh, kayaks for us. And uh, so during the summer, I am kayaking. And of course, I love to read science fiction. Uh, and, uh, that sort of thing, but getting out hiking, snowshoeing, I learned snowshoeing this winter and I've never done that before. I've done cross country skiing before, which I sort of thought, Oh, let's do that. And then, then we kind of decided, well, let's try snowshoeing. So we did. And I loved it. I just totally loved it. And so every single Friday, now the full day during the summer months, uh, we, we get out into nature and, uh, and so I'm now doing a four-day work week, which sometimes is a four, it gets into an evening to get everything done, but I'm not working Fridays. I'll probably do back to half days during the winter months when you can't get out quite as there much. You go. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you for finally uh, coming on the show. Thank you for being a great guest and being patient. Uh, where can we find you online or how do we uh, find out more? Uh, you can still find me rockley at rockley.com. And uh, that talks about my uh, services. I've updated the site. And uh, there's a new site focused on health only, which is annrockley.com. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I am going to, I know what I'm doing in the next couple of minutes. I'm going to go check those URLs out. And uh, thanks again. I'm honestly off the line. I'm, I'm probably going to put another time on you because I'm at one of those places in my life like, okay, I could probably use a little guidance. So, um, you know, so we'll see. Um, Okay. But thank you. And thank you for your time uh, once again. And everyone go out there and create some great content.